0: We thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace that you've given us. We thank you for your goodness, your love, your kindness towards us. And, Father, we pray that our hearts would be pliable today. We pray, God, that you would enlarge our capacity to believe, enlarge our territory, increase our ability, God, to dream again. In the name of Jesus, bless the pastor, give him strength in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Uh, You can bring me down in the monitor there, Ryan, just a little bit. Um, We are talking about daring to dream. And today I want to talk about one of the biggest, the most pervasive, the most recalcitrant dream killers that you can ever experience. I'm talking about this pervasive sense of fear that can grip a person's heart and keep them from experiencing the dream and the design that God has for them. Fear is the number one dream killer. Uh, fear disguises itself in all different ways, but fear can just accompany all of us in, in, in so many ways. When we're striving to do something, we're striving to achieve something, fear can permeate our hearts You know subterfuge itself as something else trick us into believing that it's you know reason Uh, And yet when we drill down we find that it's fear fear is one of the most basic and primal emotions that we have Uh, And and that's for good reason fear is embedded deep down in our brain Or the capacity for fear because fear can be at times a very a very useful and powerful and good and positive emotion uh, for instance, if you're about to hit, get hit by a vehicle, by a car driving down the street, fear is what motivates you to jump out of the way. This guy here is at the Grand Prix, and he is afraid, I can assure you. He wants out of the way. Fear is what motivates us to stay away from circumstances where we run into animals like this when they look angry, like Mama Bear there, Fear is what teaches us to avoid these circumstances. Fear is the emotion that my four-year-old was trying to evoke when he put this little costume on and he gave me that look. He's trying to say, I'm tough, I'm bad, I want you to be afraid. So fear can be a powerful and useful emotion. When we are facing a true, real, imminent threat to our health, to our body, to our family, fear is that emotion that says... Let's move. Let's do something, right? But all too often, we are experiencing fear in our lives when there is not a real and imminent threat in front of us. We're experiencing fear based upon an experience that we had many, many years before that has somehow now associated itself with an issue or circumstance that we're now facing and because we were afraid or we were hurt or we had an unpleasant experience before related to some other experience, we now fear the possibility of that happening again. Some of us know, for instance, that we, we really we want to go back to school. We want to go get a degree that we should have earned or wanted to earn and we dreamed of earning but we never earned. And yet we're really afraid of going back and doing it. We may, you know, we may hide that fear with all sorts of rationale, justification, and reason, but down deep, when you drill down, it's fear. If you're single, and let's say you're a single guy, and you see a young woman that you want to go talk to, and you could talk to anybody else in the room, but you can't work up, muster up the courage to go talk to that one woman because really you're afraid. But you can come up with really good reasons. Why not to go talk to her or him if you're a woman and so forth? Um, but, But... it's fear. Fear is the thing that keeps some people locked into a bad dating relationship. They're going out with someone. They know that it's not a good relationship. They know they should get out of it. But the fear of being alone keeps them captivated in that relationship. Starting a business, starting a nonprofit agency, sharing your faith with somebody. All of these are, are things that can that can. Uh, uh, that can make you afraid these are things that can make you Pull back and not want to to do things that you actually know you want to do You you may see an injustice in the world and you know that you have The the capacity and you know that you need to go and address that injustice, but you're afraid of what might happen to you Um, I'm going to explain I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to teach a little bit All right, we're going to get into the weeds just a little bit uh, today I want to talk to you just a little bit about this process of fear and how fear can attach itself to circumstances in your life that really you ought not to be afraid of. This is a process called fear conditioning. Fear conditioning happens when something that you experienced in your life, maybe many years ago, maybe as a child, was unpleasant or it was hurtful or it was harmful, okay? You had that experience and then you begin to associate other experiences with that experience. In other words, even though the thing that hurt you may be gone, may not be able to hurt you anymore, things that remind you of that thing now frighten you. And so you can find yourself boxing yourself into a world of fear, a world of insecurity, a world of anxiety, because of circumstances and situations that you had many, many years ago. The classic example of this, the classic study on this, um, was, was a study called the Little Albert Experiment. This was back in the 1920s uh, at Johns Hopkins University. They conducted a study on a little, on a little toddler, on a little baby. Um, and they would never allow this kind of study to happen anymore. But what they did was they introduced this child to all sorts of different stimuli. They, they gave, the, and, and they have video of all this. You can actually see this on YouTube. They they put this little child down, and they introduced this child to a little bunny rabbit. They let a little bunny rabbit come and hop near the child, and the baby petted the, the, the bunny rabbit. And then they introduced a little dog, and the, the baby petted the dog and liked the dog. They even had a little, what looked like a hamster, but was actually a little white lab rat, um, introduced this little, you know, rodent to the child, and the child is, petting the little mouse, the little rat. Um, they, had a, they brought in a little monkey, actually, at one point, and the, the child was just entertained by all of these things. He wasn't afraid of any of these things because he had no reason to be, right? He had never had any bad experiences with, with any of these things, and so he was playing with all of these little animals, and they brought in cotton balls. They brought in all kinds of stuff, and the little child wasn't scared of any of them. But they did know that children implicitly are afraid of sudden loud noises, So like if you walk into a room and you have a six month old and you clap your hands loudly, that child will be frightened. They don't have to learn that that's instinctual. I learned that about Jameson when I would burst into the house and be like, hey, buddy, and then he would just like melt into tears. Uh, my wife was like, maybe just lower your voice just a little bit and that'll be fine. Um, but this little boy, so what they did was they brought that little, that little lab rat back out, the little, I'm going to call it a hamster because rat just sounds so gross. But it was a little lab rat, and, and, and every time that little rat would come out, the little boy would reach to play with the rat. And one of the experimenters in the back of the room would clang a steel bar with a hammer, make a very loud, frightening sound. And it would, you know, it would frighten, it would startle the little boy. And then they would take the rat away. Then they would bring the rat back out and the boy would reach out to play with the rat. Bang! They would clang that loud thing again and the child would be startled. And they did that over and over. They did it six times. Guess what happened on the seventh time when they brought the little rat out? Little boy was terrified, right? Because he had associated the frightening sound of that, that, loud, uh, that loud steel bar with the hammer, he had associated that with the rat. Okay, because that really scared him, and so now this is scaring him. And then what they found is that other little furry things that reminded him of the rat also scared him. They brought the little rabbit back out. Now the child was scared of the rabbit. They brought the dog back out. Now the child was scared of the dog. The child began to associate his fear of this loud sound with all of these other things in his you know, circumstances in his environment that originally he wasn't scared of, but he became scared of because he learned to become scared. He learned he was conditioned to become fearful. Are you tracking with me? Is that, you understand what's happening in this story? And, And this is what happens in our lives is that we experience something way back in our past, whether it's something that we do, we fail, we screw up, we mess up, we flop, and we experience some unpleasant, You know experience as a result of that and now we're scared of trying anything like that Or somebody in our past hurts us and now we're scared of moving forward in intimacy or friendship or whatever We can associate all of these different circumstances to that original fear But god in his scripture is saying I have not given you a spirit of fear He says i've given you a spirit of power And of love And of a sound mind God is saying, I do not want you to walk around in fear. I don't want you to walk around afraid and startled by and uncertain by and, and freaked out by all these kinds of circumstances in your life that you think may harm you because I am with you and I don't want you walking around in fear. I don't want my children walking around in fear. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, we, actually, we talked about Joseph, right? And remember how Joseph came into Egypt and uh, became the prime minister of Egypt, and his brothers came, his 11 brothers came to Egypt. Well, they all settled there in Egypt, and they they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And they began to multiply. They began to have babies, and their babies had babies, and their babies, and then generations passed, and the Israelites flourished in Egypt. And finally, their their numbers became so high that the Egyptians said, you know what? We're worried about these guys. These guys now are so prevalent that if we get into a war, we get into a battle, you know, if a a marauding army comes and attacks, how do we know they're not going to turn on us? And the Pharaoh, this is 400 years after Joseph, said, what we need to do is we need to take these Israelites. We need to break down their businesses. We need to decimate their families. We need to take their wealth. We're going to take their livestock, and we're going to enslave them, and they're going to become our slaves. And so that's what the Egyptians did. They enslaved this whole group of people, the the Israelites, the Hebrew children. And in that environment, a little boy was born, and his mother did not want this little boy to be harmed because the Pharaoh had issued an edict. And he said these these people are multiplying so quickly that any time a male is born among them, any male Hebrew child, any male Israelite, we are going to have him killed. He ordered a genocide into that environment. A little boy was born and his mother hid him for three months. And after three months, she made a little basket. She made it out of reeds. She put pitch and tar on it. And she put this little baby in this basket, put him on the in the river Nile, put her sent her daughter out to watch what was going to happen. And the little the little baby floated out in this basket into the middle of the Nile River. And Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the river. With her servants. And she saw this basket floating out in the water. And so she sent one of her servants and she said, Go see what's in that basket. So the servant went out, got the basket, brought the basket over to her, opened the basket, and inside they found this little Hebrew child. And the the Pharaoh's daughter said, You know, I'm going to keep this child. She had pity on the child. I'm going to keep him. I'm going to name him Moses. Because that means drawn out that means taken out and that's how moses was born That's the that's the environment into which moses was born moses Then was raised in the court of pharaoh Had the best schooling had the best training had the best food had the best clothes had all of the best experiences But inside of moses's heart He knew that he was different He knew that he was on the inside. He was a hebrew But on the outside, he was an Egyptian and he would look around and see the oppression of his people, see how his people were being decimated, see how his people were being enslaved and oppressed. And it started in him to form a dream, a dream of deliverance, a dream of setting his people free because he hated seeing them in this position, in this circumstance. And this dream welled up inside of, of him as a young man and it grew and it grew and it grew. How many of you can say that, you know, maybe when you were younger, high school, college, or even now, you, you've, you've had dreams in your heart of doing something important, of doing something worthwhile, of doing something valuable, of doing something that means something. Have you ever, do you know what I mean? Like having that experience where a dream is welling up in your heart. That's what was happening with Moses. And he started dreaming of freeing his brothers and sisters from this oppressive slavery of the Egyptians. And finally, Moses, the dream welled up and came to a head. And at one point he walked out. The scripture says that he walked out where his his Hebrew brothers and sisters uh, were were, uh, you know, being driven by hard labor. And in Exodus, it says one day after Moses had grown up. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at hard labor. You can go ahead and put that scripture up. Watch them at hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And then it says that Moses, looking this way and that and seeing no one, killed the egyptian and hid him in the sand this dream had welled up to such a point where he couldn't take the oppression anymore and he struck out he lashed out against an egyptian he hit him in the sand the next day he went out and he saw two hebrews fighting with each other and he asked the one that was in the wrong he said why are you hitting your fellow hebrew why are you guys fighting we're brothers we're on the same team the man said who made you ruler and judge over us Moses?" Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then this is the line that, that really starts Moses' trajectory for his life. The scripture says that Moses was afraid. Moses was afraid. We learn from the scripture that the fear that he experienced in that moment, because he, he knew, he said the word is out, If this hebrew knows that i've killed someone that means other hebrews know that means maybe the egyptians know maybe pharaoh knows And and moses became terrified and the scripture says that he fled to the the desert of midian As far away as he could get went out and lived in the desert buried his passion forsook his mission Left everything that he had driven by fear. He went out and lived in the desert A year passed another year passed another year passed Moses got married he started working for his father-in-law He just started living a normal life Forgetting about the dream that he had inside of him forgetting about the dream to free his people 10 years passed his 50th birthday went by then his 60th and he was paralyzed by fear He learned that all too familiar lesson that fear cripples our dreams Fear cripples our dreams another year and another year and another year and another year 40 years went by With moses living out in the desert Not fulfilling the dream that god had placed in his heart not pursuing anything associated with that dream hiding out Tending his father-in-law's sheep Living under the radar not doing anything because he was paralyzed by fear I spoke with a young man several months ago who many, many years ago, over a decade ago, had made a, a big mistake in his life. Really big mistake. He had prayed about it. He had asked for forgiveness and, and all of that w- was fine. But that instance, that incident, that mistake that he made has hampered him ever since then he cannot bring himself to live out the mission that god has called him to because of a mistake he made over a decade ago he's afraid of making the same mistake he's afraid of somebody finding out about that mistake and he will not he cannot he's paralyzed by fear and no matter what i've said to him in counseling you know god forgives you god loves you somehow deep down he's crippled by fear and he doesn't know it he's managed to come up with all manner of justification and excuses Because that's the only way he can deal with this fear Maybe for you you you've experienced something and you in your mind are sitting here going. I'm not afraid I don't have fear But you have some other justification or some other rationale, or some other reason to not do the thing that you know, you got to be You ought to be doing and I want to challenge you today and say is that fear is there a fear in your life? Because fear is covert like that it's subterranean like that and moses is out on the backwoods 40 years. He's out there. He's 80 years old now And a very peculiar thing happened something that had never happened to him before he was driving the sheep out into the wilderness He comes up near a mountain where there's some vegetation there He's bringing the sheep there and he notices something off in the distance something flickering something glowing Uh, It's sort of red and orange and he can't tell what it is. He walks over to it and he sees that it's a bush and this bush is on fire. But the bush is not being consumed. They're just flames coming out of the bush. And then suddenly from the bush, he hears a voice and it's the voice of God. And God says to him, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, Moses. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come, he says, to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, Moses. And here's what he says. So now, Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You are my man, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This should be the culminating moment in Moses' life. The dream that he had as a young man to deliver and free and liberate his people, now he is experiencing God himself saying, Yes, it's time. You're my man, Moses. I'm taking you. I want you to go out and do this, and I'm sending you, and I will be with you, Moses. But Moses cannot. This is the moment. Right. Where you want Moses, if this was the movie, to put on the blue face paint like Braveheart and say freedom. You know, this is when you want him to go. Come on, we're going to do this. But he can't. He's terrified. He's crippled with fear. Exodus three, six says Moses hid his face because he was what? Afraid. Fear had so crippled him that he just could not even respond to God himself when God said, I want you, Moses, to do this. I've called you to do this. Moses can't do it. Fear doesn't sneak up to you and say, boo, right? Fear doesn't come at you, you know, in a way that you can even recognize it sometimes. Here's the way fear works. Fear, fear speaks to you from a voice from within. And fear speaks to you in the first person. Fear doesn't say to you, you can't do it. Fear speaks to you in your own voice and says, I can't do it. You know what I'm talking about? Fear doesn't come to you and say, hey, you're worthless. Fear enters into your mind and you hear your own voice say, I'm worthless. Fear doesn't come at you and say, you're a failure. Fear speaks in your voice in your mind and says I'm a failure And because it's in your voice and in your mind you believe it There's no one to argue with You don't say well look you're wrong you you believe it because it's you saying it And this is exactly what happened to moses when moses was experiencing the voice of god calling him back to egypt to deliver his people Moses gave five responses Five responses, and I'll go through them quickly. But I want I want you to listen to these and see if there are, if there's anything familiar about this. If you've ever heard any of these kind of voices in your own heart, in your own mind, the first thing that Moses says is, "I'm not deserving. I'm not deserving." Exodus three, it says, uh, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt?" In other words, God, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. My view of myself is so low that I cannot recommend myself to go and do the task that you have called me to do. He doesn't feel worthy, and so he tries to sabotage this amazing moment in his life and says, God, I can't do it. Who am I that I should go? Some of us deep down, we, we're like the old Groucho Marx you know, uh, uh, statement where he says, I wouldn't be a part of any club that would have me. Right? Somewhere deep down in our own heart, We don't feel worthy. We don't feel That we deserve the the fruits of our labor somewhere deep down. We don't feel like we're we're value Valuable to god the next statement that moses made was god. Not only am I not worthy? He says suppose I go to the israelites and I ask them And and I say to them the god of your fathers has sent me you can go ahead and put that uh, Verse up the god of uh, of your fathers has sent me to you And they ask me what is his name? Then what shall I say? to them in other words he's saying I don't have enough information I'm not equipped God I'm not equipped to go and do this I don't have the right education I don't have the right pedigree I went to the wrong school I I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks I don't know how to talk to people like that and I I know that some of us have to struggle with some of these feelings from time to time in our own lives I know that I have in my own life. There was an opportunity that I had to go and study, and I've told you this before, but my, my sisters and I were the first generation of our family to go to university. And, and, and at one point I got to go over to England, and I was studying with all of these people that had been, uh, you know, extremely well-educated and came through many generations of parents that were educated. And and I just remember, like, looking around going, I, this is out of my league. Like, this is... Too much for me. I just didn't feel smart enough or I didn't feel good enough I didn't feel like I could do it and that's what's happening to moses. He's saying I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. And moreover, i'm not equipped then he says What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And then they say to me the lord did not appear to you. In other words, he says god i'm not inspiring Right, I could go down there and say this, but I'm not effective. I'm not convincing. People will laugh at me. People will not believe on me. My Hebrew brothers turned on me the last time I tried to do this. I can't do it. And yet God persists and keeps calling him. The fourth thing that Moses says, he says, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He says, God, I'm not competent. I am not competent. I cannot do it. I don't have the right skills. I don't have the right abilities. I'm not good enough. I have a speech. He had a speech impediment. He said, I'm a stutterer. I can't do this. I liked how God responded to him. He says, who gave you your mouth, Moses? I know your weaknesses, okay? I know the the flaws. I know every hair on your head, and I'm calling you despite those. I, I know those. I'm the creator. I know all of that. Don't tell me what's wrong with you, Moses, because I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Moses is still gripped by fear, just can't seem to believe in the power of God. And finally, he doesn't even have an excuse. The last one, he just says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. In other words, he just says, I'm out of excuses, but I'm just not capable. I cannot do it. I am not capable, God, of doing what you've asked me to do. You can put that next slide there. Uh, The fear was so great, he's just flooded with excuses, and he finally runs out and says, can you just send somebody else? Somebody else. I just can't do it, God. And here's where I love God's response. Here's where it gets really interesting, because there are a couple ways that you can respond to this. One way that God could have responded was to say, You know, Moses, look, man, I've been trying to call you and I've been trying to encourage you and you keep telling me you can't do it. And you know what? You're right. You can't do it, Moses. I'm going to go find somebody else. Right. That's one response that God could have had another response that God could have had. And this is maybe a little more appealing to us. God could have said, oh, no, Moses, you are deserving. Uh, No, you, you are competent. You are equipped, Moses. You are inspiring. You are capable, Moses. You can do it. Right You're good enough You're smart enough and doggone it people like you moses. He could have he could have gone down that road, right? Could have given him a little pep talk But the reality is that god knows and you know and I know that a little pep talk about how good we are May last for a little while. We may get a little shot. We may get a little boost But it doesn't last right because deep down we know that the fear that grips us and the insecurities that grip us and the inadequacies Inadequacies that are a part of us are not going to be washed away by just a little Little self-help talk. It's just not going to work And he also knew god also knew that moses was right These excuses were actually true Moses wasn't deserving to go down and free the children of israel he had never done anything to merit that, that, that role in life. He had spent the last 40 years tending his father in law's sheep. He hadn't done anything that makes you go, Yeah, that's my guy. That's the guy who's going to go lead the children out of Israel, or out of Egypt. He wasn't equipped to do it. He had no clout. He had no rapport with the Egyptians. He had none of that. He wasn't particularly inspiring. The last time he tried to free his people, his Hebrew brothers turned on him and said, You know, who do you think you are? He wasn't particularly competent it had been 40 years since he had spoken the egyptian language and he had a speech impediment There wasn't anything particularly, you know intrinsic to him that made him competent to do this But here's where moses was missing the mark and here's where you and I are missing the mark I think sometimes when it comes to our own aspirations God is not calling us to fulfill our own dreams by our own strength God is calling us to fulfill his design by his strength. Not our dreams by our strength, his design by his strength. And here's where it gets really interesting because God's response is very, is very unex, un, unexpected. This response is one of the most important responses in the Bible. The conversation, the thing that God is about to say to Moses is one of the most important statements that is made in the entire Bible because it's it's when God reveals his name to man. Listen to what he says. When Moses says, I can't do it, I'm incompetent, all that, God says to him, Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am who I am has sent you. I am. You hear this phrase and you go, what does that mean? Why, what does he mean? I am that I am. Commentators have spilled gallons of ink trying to describe what that name means. And what it boils down to is this. God is saying with this name, I am. He is saying, I am all sufficient. I am not dependent upon anything else. Everything else in the universe is dependent upon me. Pharaoh doesn't control the world. I control the world. Your circumstances are not in control of you. I am in control of your circumstances. Your fears don't need to control your life. I am bigger than your fears. Your past doesn't need to control you. I was, I am, I will be. I was in the past, I am now, and I always will be. I am that I am I am the alpha and the omega. I'm it everything in the universe is contingent upon me Everything I am that I am One commentator says that he's saying that I am all-sufficient and the inexhaustible fountain of being and blessedness In other words, Moses everything that you need and everything that you're not I am Moses says I'm not deserving God says I know you're not. I am. Moses says I'm not equipped. God says I know you're not Moses. I am. God says Moses says I'm not inspiring and God says I know you're not Moses. You're not inspiring. I am inspiring. Moses says I'm not competent Moses and God says I know you're not competent Moses. I am. I'm not capable God. God says I am. I am Moses. I'm not asking you, Moses, to go do something that I thought you could do on your own. I know you can't do that. And I'm not going to hype you. I'm not going to hype you and tell you that you can. You can't, but I can. And every single one of us, when we're facing that impossible situation, impossible circumstance in your life, it's okay to acknowledge. In fact, it's necessary to acknowledge that you cannot Do it on your own Give that to god because he can do exceedingly abundantly Above all that we ask or think everything we need he is And so moses finally goes down to egypt. He's convinced he goes down to egypt. He's scared He brings his brother with him to help him talk. He goes down and he says let my people go pharaoh And pharaoh says get out of my face and god and god intervenes and brings plagues upon the egyptians you know the bible story right and every time a plague happens moses's faith begins to grow and pretty soon we don't see a halting stuttering help me out aaron kind of moses we see a moses who boldly walks into pharaoh and says i told you before and i'm going to tell you again let my people go let my people go pharaoh because what he learned at 80 years old is that fear shrinks In the presence of faith. Fear shrinks in the presence of faith. When Moses was finally able to take his eyes off of himself, his own flaws, his own foibles, his own problems, his own issues, his own fear from the past and focus on God, God came through for him. I want to tell you today, if you're struggling in your own life with stuff that you just don't know how you can Get through or work through whatever it is if it's in a relationship or a career or a a child or your health Will you just take your eyes off of yourself for just a minute and know that you worship the great I am The one who is all and is through all and is all In whom we live and move and have our being He is our god and he loves us You can come on up rebecca Rebecca shortly after the children of israel were freed moses got them out of the land and they were they were encamped against the red sea okay and they were so happy and joyful that they were finally leaving and it's about that time that pharaoh says wait a minute what did we just do we just let we just let all of these slaves go what are we th- what are we thinking and so pharaoh takes his army and he heads out after the Hebrew children. He says, we're, we're going we're to get him back. We're going to take these guys down. And you have, to, you have to see this picture, okay? Because the Israelites are right there against in, the eastern, in the eastern half of Egypt. They're right against the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's armies are advancing against them. And there are 600 chariots. And there are thousands of foot soldiers. And they're marching with spears and swords towards these unarmed Hebrew slaves. And the the children of Israel, the scripture says, they were terrified. In chapter 14, it says, As Pharaoh approached the Israel, as, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? They were so overcome with fear. They wanted to go back to being slaves. They said, why did you bring us out of here, Moses, to die? And this is one of my favorite moments in the Bible because all we've seen of Moses at his early life was that he was afraid and he hid. He was afraid and he hid. He hid out. He was, he was paralyzed. He could, was frozen. He couldn't do anything. And now he's in a genuinely, truly impossible situation. This is the bear moment. This is the Indy car moment. This is when you should be afraid, Moses. This is when it's okay to be afraid. The, the Egyptians are marching toward you. The Red Sea is behind you. There's no escape, Moses. And I love what Moses says. He answered the people and he said, do not be afraid. Moses, the one who spent his first 80 years trapped in fear paralyzed by fear turns to the hebrew children in a moment where there's genuine threat of imminent bodily harm and he says do not be afraid the egyptians you see today will you will never see again the lord will fight for you sometimes the reason that god takes you through a time of fear a time of, uh, 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 where you're overcoming fear and he's instilling courage in you through faith is because he wants you then to be a source of courage and strength and faith to somebody else. And if Moses hadn't faced those years of fear, those 40 years in the desert, he might not understand what was going on with the Israelites in that moment when they were faced with a true imminent threat. And he turned to them and he said, do not be afraid. God wants to invite you to get past yourself. God wants to invite you to get beyond your own inadequacies, your own flaws, your own fears, your own insecurities, your own anxieties, your own worries. And he wants you to step into the great I am. The great I am, the God who is all and is through all and in us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today inspired by the story of a man who was afraid. Because all of us, Lord, we experience our own inadequacies, our own fears, our own worries. And God, we ask that you just make your presence known to us today. Help us, Lord, like Moses, to step into the great I am, to really know who you are, To know that you are able when we are not able. To know that you can do things that we cannot do. To know that when we are inadequate, you are more than adequate. Father, we ask that you just pour into our lives today through your Holy Spirit and help us to be more and more like you. Help us, Lord, to be filled with faith and overcome the fear in our hearts. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.